0: Section six of Autobiography of Phineas Pett by Phineas Pett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section six. The Autobiography of Phineas Pett, Part Two. The persons principally questioned and aimed at, leaving the Great Master of the Office, were Sir Robert Mansell, then Treasurer, Sir John Trevor, Surveyor, Sir Henry Palmer, Controller, Captain Thomas Button, John Leggott clerk of the check at chatham myself and sir thomas bludder then victualler to the navy this year in the end of july i began the new gates for woolwich dock and set up a dam without them so that we wrought always dry which gates were placed set up and finished and the dam taken away within the space of nine weeks wherein i saved to his majesty above four hundred pounds according to a former estimate "'made of the charge of the same under the hands of His Majesty's Master Shipwrights. "'During this business at Woolwich it pleased God that my wife was safely delivered of her fourth son "'in Mr. Lyddiard's house, in the yard, the 27th of April, 1608, "'and was baptised in Woolwich Church the 5th of May following, and named Joseph. "'About the beginning of August it pleased the Prince's Highness, my Master, to send me word that he would come to Woolwich at his return out of Essex from the Lord Peters, whither his grace was then going in progress. And on Saturday after, being the 13th day of August, his Highness took his barge at Blackwall, and came by water to Woolwich about noon, accompanied only with his own train, where I received him on shore at the yard-stairs. On the poop of the Anne Royal was placed a noise of trumpets, "'an ensign, and two ensigns "'upon the head of both the mizens. "'After my duty presented "'to His Highness with the best expression "'I could, to cause him to understand "'his welcome to that place, and how much "'it would joy all seamen's hearts "'to perceive His Highness so well "'addicted to His Majesty's ships, "'and the sight of them, I conducted "'His Highness round about the dock, "'and so directly aboard the Anne Royal, "'to the very top of her poop, "'where, after my duty performed, i gave a secret signal as was before concluded between us to my good friend mr william bull then master gunner of england who stood ready prepared upon a mount in sir hugh lydiard's garden with thirty-one great brass chambers orderly and distinctly placed which with mr gunner's help i had procured from the tower for that purpose he presently receiving the signal diligently attending the same gave fire to the train, and so discharged the whole volley with so good order as gave a marvellous pleasing content to his highness, and the more because he expected no such thing, but that it was done suddenly. When the ordnance gave over, I then kneeled down to his highness and besought him to be pleased to accept this poor sea entertainment from me, as an unfeigned earnest of my duty to him. "'which I would hereafter strive to express in better manner "'if his highness would be pleased graciously to receive this his first homely welcome. "'His highness then, having answered my request, with a princely acceptance, "'commanded me to lead into all the places of the ship, "'which, having viewed with a great deal of delightful judgment, "'I led his grace into the yard, "'and so to the place where the keel, stem, and stern of his own ship, "'which was to be built,' lay ready-framed, which, having perused very seriously and caused the length of the keel to be measured, I besought his grace to walk into the house to rest himself, which, his highness, willingly condescending unto, I conducted him unto Mr. Lydia's parlour, where was prepared a set banquet of sweetmeats and all other fruits the season of the year could yield, with plentiful store of wine, both rhenish-white, sack, Greek-wine, and claret his highness was well pleased to take his refection and after the banquet done giving his hand to kiss to divers gentlewomen of the town that were in the room together with my wife his highness desired to be brought to the mount where the chambers were placed which were again laden in this interim and ranged in their first order with the train made ready this sight so much pleased his grace that he was very desirous to have the train fired his highness standing by but at my humble entreaty, understanding what danger was incident to such a business, he gave me order that, at the holding up of his handkerchief in his barge, I should see them put off, and so taking notice of Mr. Bull, and giving him his hand to kiss, taking his leave, I conducted his highness to his barge, being the top of full sea, where, kissing his hand upon my knee, he expressed how kindly he accepted his welcome using many gracious speeches to me, and so putting off. I returned to the mount, and, upon His Highness's signal given me, the train was fired, and the chambers delivered their loud voices, in as distinct order as at the first, to the great delight of His Highness, and general applause of all others there present. Having now finished, by God's providence and gracious assistance, the ark, which I began to repair in Woolwich Dock in May, was twelve months before on the twenty ninth day of september sixteen o eight i launched her it was a very blustering day the wind at south-west but thanks be to god with a little difficulty she was launched and brought safely to her moorings her name was altered and given by the mouth of my very good friend sir oliver cromwell in presence of sir robert mansell sir john trevor and captain button diverse other gentlemen being on board with his majesty's trumpets and drums her name was given the anne royal these knights, with the lady mansell the lady trevor mrs button and sundry others dined this day with me at woolwich in mr lydyard's parlour my lodgings being as yet not altered and therefore inconvenient for entertaining of any friends of account which lodgings i after by warrant repaired and made as they now are, for which I was greatly questioned by the Lord of Northampton in his inquisition, and stand upon his book of reformation at large recorded. The twentieth of October following, being Thursday, by God's good help, I lay the keel of the new great ship upon the blocks in the dock, and the twenty-eighth day following, of the same month, I raised her stern, and presently after the stem and proceeded in order with the floor as fast as I could notwithstanding the many practices underhand attempted to have diverted the whole course of that building as hereafter in his proper place shall be discovered during the time that I proceeded on with the new frame the inquisition against the navy then growing to the height and prosecuted with extremity of malice against sir john trevor sir robert mansell and some others amongst whom myself held not the least place about the fine of March sixteen o nine, there was discovered unto me by Mr. Sebastian Vickers, carver to the ships, my ever true and faithful friend, a secret combination against me concerning the building of the great ship, suggested first by the practice of my fellows old Mr. Matthew Baker and Mr. William Bright, old adversaries to my name and family, assisted by Edward Stevens, a master shipwright who laid great claim to my place, by a former patent to him granted under the broad seal of england with some other shipwrights also joined with them by especial warrant from the great lord of northampton my most implacable enemy my fellows bearing me no small grudge because by the prince's highness means my master i was preferred to that great business before them and mr Stevens malicing me because he could not prevail against me to recover my place from me. They had also won to their party by much importunity, and by means of a particular letter directed from the Lord Northampton, to him to that very purpose, a great braggadocio, a vain and idle fellow, sometime a mariner and master, called by the name of Captain George Weymouth, who, having much acquaintance abroad amongst gentlemen, was to disperse the insufficiency of my business, reporting how I was no artist, and altogether insufficient to perform such a service of no experience, and that the King's Majesty was co and all the charge lost, and the frame of her was unfit for any use but a dung-boat, with many other such false opprobrious defamations, wherein he was better practised than in any other profession these rumours being thus divulged the report thereof coming to mr sebastian vickers's ears was the cause that he out of his great love and honesty to me wrote to me what he had heard abroad wishing me to keep a careful watch over myself for that they would bend all their practices powers and friends to the disgracing of the building and ruining of me but i being very confident of the goodness of my cause though i received that admonition as from a dear friend with much acknowledgment of his love and care of me yet little regarding what their malicious practices could bring forth made small reckoning of their plottings till such time as a good honest man understanding from some of their own mouths what was intended against me made a purposed journey to me to woolwich though he was then scarce able to travel by reason of a tedious sickness and there thoroughly possessed me of the certainty of what he before by his writing had truly informed me i now perceiving it was no idle flim-flam as i before supposed considered that the goodness of my cause might by my secure neglect either suffer hazard or be overborne by greatness began to call my wits about me and to advise what was to be done in the business at which time to make good the supposition i reached a message by word of mouth from a worthy gentleman and a good friend of mine mr william burrow principal master workman to the east india company of all their project which was discovered to him particularly by that captain weymouth being at that instant time between drunk and sober the thirteenth of april this weymouth was by consent of the rest sent to woolwich to survey my work and thereupon to deliver his opinion, and I, in the meantime, was appointed to be at Redriff, at a meeting at a court held for the incorporation of shipwrights, whereof I was then master, that in my absence he might have the better opportunity to perform his malicious instructions, as he was directed by his great masters, of the which his purpose I receiving certain intelligence, leaving my intended journey to Redriff, I awaited his coming. And receiving him after a courteous manner after some discourse and ordinary compliments he returned back to his confederates frustrate of his great purpose within some few days after I wrote something to this purpose to my very good friends Sir Robert Mansell and Sir John Trevor being then treasurer and surveyor of the navy desiring them for that it was a business highly concerning the honour of our honourable lord the lord high admiral and their own particular reputations they would be pleased to take the pains to make a sudden journey to woolwich there truly to inform themselves not only concerning the state of the work but of divers other material business wherewith i was to acquaint them at their coming thither according to my request they both came the next day where being thoroughly possessed of all the passages and occurrences concerning the project of our adversaries after they had carefully also surveyed the work with all other things necessary to be advised of leaving me with good deliberation instructions how to proceed in my defence they departed again to westminster the same afternoon presently after the departure of these gentlemen desiring first the lord to guide and direct my pen so as might best tend to his glory and the discharge of my duty i betook myself to my study and in the briefest manner i could i certified the lord admiral of the truth of all the whole project plotted against me with the names of the principalest actors therein and the reasons in inducing them unto it withal earnestly beseeching his lordship to be pleased since the matter so nearly concerned his majesty's profit the honour of the state his lordship's own safety and the reputation of his office to leave all respect of my particular good, and to procure such a view to be presently made of the work, by judicious and impartial persons, as his majesty might receive no loss, the search of the kingdom no prejudice, the strength of the kingdom no prejudice, his honour no impeachment, and the officers of the navy no just calumniation nor blame. It pleased his lordship, then lying at Whitehall, presently after the receipt of my letter wherewith he was not a little troubled to observe their malicious practices to send for me to wait upon him that by conference with me his lordship might be better informed of each particular passage in this so dangerous information and conspiracy and after his lordship had received from me such satisfaction as he desired comforting me with many noble encouragements as being as he said sufficiently persuaded both of my skill experience and honesty wishing me to take a good heart and never a whit to distrust the goodness of my cause albeit i had strong adversaries for that god in his mercy would never permit such a malicious practice to prevail against those that relied upon him with many other fatherly instructions and so being somewhat late for that night his lordship was pleased to dismiss me giving me commandment to attend to his further pleasure the next morning. And this was the twentieth day of April. It was no sooner the next morrow, but his lordship, very careful of doing something in this weighty business, made himself ready, and by four o'clock, taking my letter in his hand, speeds himself to his majesty's chamber, lying then also at Whitehall, and sending in words that his lordship was there to acquaint his majesty with some business of great consequence, was presently admitted to his majesty's bedside and having in a few words given his majesty a taste of his errand delivered him my letter and besought him to be pleased thoroughly to peruse the same the letter his majesty twice read over and perceiving how malice was the origin of all this stir seemed greatly to pity the wrong and injury done unto me using this gracious speech in my behalf that whatsoever my act was he knew not but i deserved great commendation for my honest plainness delivered in my letter and that it was great reason i should be justly proceeded withal to the end therefore i might not be wrongfully oppressed and the works disgraced without just cause his majesty took present order with the lord high admiral that he should join unto him the right honourable lords the earls of worcester then master of his majesty's horse and of suffolk then lord high chamberlain and repairing to Woolwich, should there, upon their oaths, honours, and faithful allegiance to his Majesty, without respect of any particular person, call before them my accusers, and, as well by examination of them, as trial of the work itself, both in point of sufficiency, as well of matter as manner, should truly inform themselves whether this main accusation so much concerning his Majesty's honour, were justly commenced, or no which charge of his majesty being performed they should return the true report thereof with all speed to his majesty as they would answer it upon their allegiance whilst these things were thus ordering my malicious adversaries were not idle but plotting as fast against me and had so far prevailed with the lord northampton that there should be a private warrant directed to the chief of them vide to mr baker bright and stevens and to some other whom they should associate with them which warrant should have been signed with the king's own hand to authorize them to repair to woolwich and there strictly to make a survey of the work which being done upon the return of the insufficiency of the same under their hands and confirmation by oath it was resolved amongst them i should be turned out and for ever disgraced the work utterly defaced and i never to come to any personal answer and one of them that could make his party strongest should undertake the business about which they were in great contention amongst themselves who should be preferred to it but it pleased my good god that never leaves his servants destitute of his help when all other means fail them so mightily to work for me by means of my letter sent to my honourable lord admiral as is showed afore delivered to his majesty so far to prevent their purpose their purposes that upon that very day wherein they had determined to have displaced and disgraced me that they were unawares to them warned by one of his majesty's messengers to appear before the three lords before named to answer them at that very place and time wherein they made their account to have triumphed over me this was the lord's doing and it is marvellous in our eyes and this day was appointed to be on tuesday the twenty-fifth day of april which time was accordingly kept and the lords were come to woolwich by nine of the clock the same morning the first thing they did was to take a diligent survey of the work first touching the form and manner of the same and then concerning the goodness of the materials which having very carefully perused they repaired into the house and sat at a little table in the middle of my dining-room their lordships being set first mr baker was called and demanded for the good of his majesty's service to deliver plainly what he could justly accept against the ship either in point of art or in sufficiency of the materials and leading him from point to point concerning her proportion of length breadth depth draught of water height of tuck rake before and abaft breadth of the floor scantling of timber and other circumstances after a deal of frivolous arguings to no purpose their lordships found by his examination nothing worthy of observing and directly finding him to be led more out of an envious malicious humour against me than upon any certain ground of error in the mould or probability of insufficiency of any of the materials used in the frame whereupon he was dismissed after him was bright called and then stevens who were so tripped in their several examinations as their lordships found them in their answers, clean contrary one to another, almost in every question, by which their lordships concluded, as, di- as they did of Mr. Baker, that all this question and infamous report of the business was plotted by them out of some malicious respects to disgrace me and my works, and not of any care or conscionable regard of the good of His Majesty's service, and so they were dismissed then was the great Kilcow weymouth called who being examined as the others before him were was able to say nothing to any purpose but held their lordships with a long tedious discourse of proportions measures lines and an infinite rabble of idle and unprofitable speeches clean from the matter wherewith their lordships were so tired as he was commanded silence then every man being dismissed the room they consulted in private about some half hour and then we were all called in again where their lordships addressing their speech to me delivered that by all this inquiry they in their judgments could find no just cause of exception against the business and this accusation grew for aught they could perceive out of envy and malice and therefore i had no cause to be discharged in my service but to go on both comfortably and cheerfully assuring me they would so effectually return the account of the particulars of this their day's work to his majesty, as should not only give his majesty satisfaction, but also secure and defend me from all the opposition any of my adversaries could practice against me, with many other noble speeches of encouragement. And so, about four of the clock in the evening, taking their caroches, they returned to the court of Whitehall the same night after their coming to the court their lordships repairing to his majesty they were delivered the account of their journey together with all the particular passages in the same there offering to prove upon their honours allegiances and their lives the ground of that conspiracy to spring from no other reason than inveterate malice to me and that they found the business in every part and point so excellent as befitted the service of so royal a king with which his majesty rested marvellous well satisfied my adversaries whose malicious practices nothing could daunt hunting after nothing so much as my ruin and utter disgrace were so fired with this prevention that redoubling their fury they went all together the next morning to their great patron and better, the lord northampton who being vehemently incensed before to have such an affront to the proceeding of his commission as he termed our courses to have wrought was willing to entertain anything that carried but likelihood to give him means to be revenged on me for it. After, therefore, these caterpillars had discovered to his lordship all the circumstances of the hearing before the lords, complaining very grievously, as they termed it, of their partiality towards me and bitterness to them, and that they were not suffered to speak, nor could be heard in anything they could inform against me, they offering upon their lives to make good all their information against me to be true so that they might but gain an equal hearing his lordship promised to move his majesty in the granting of a second hearing wherein he doubted not as he said unto them but they should have amends made to them for the former injuries and obtain their purpose against me in despite of all my friends and upholders his lordship immediately upon this repaired to his majesty and there made a grievous complaint against the partiality of the three lords which they showed in the examination of the business there in the behalf of the plaintiffs tendering to his majesty that they did offer upon their lives to prove all their informations true and besought his majesty very earnestly there might be a second examination committed to his lordship's care whereby all partiality should be prevented and his majesty received better confirmations of their good service than what the lords had before upon their superficial survey and partial examination exhibited to his majesty his majesty made answer that upon his lordship's first complaint he had made especial choice of three principal peers of the realm of whose faithful fidelity he was so confidently assured that he could not but give credit to that account their lordships had returned upon the serious examination of that so weighty a business notwithstanding seeing his lordship urge so earnestly a review and second examination since it was a business of such main consequence for his better satisfaction and clearing all doubts and scruple his majesty resolved to take the pains in his old person to have the hearing of the cause indifferently between all parties appointing monday the eighth of may following to be the time for the same hearing at woolwich in the yard where the ship was then in building giving order to the lord high admiral of england to provide for the same and to command all such persons as were any ways interested in that business to give their personal attendance upon his majesty at the same time and place this resolution of his majesty made known there was preparation on both sides to be provided both of information and defence to give his majesty satisfaction but the contrary parties doubting their malicious practices would now be plainly discovered never dreaming of such a course they still laboured to bring disgraces upon me informing in the interim of ten days if i might be suffered to continue the workmen upon the frames i would so handle the matter that all things should be reformed that had by them been formerly found defective both in point of materials and proportions and therefore were earnest suitors to have all the workmen presently discharged and the work to stand his majesty upon the advice of some of the lords whereof the then lord treasurer sir robert cecil and earl of salisbury being chief would not consent on any condition to have the workmen absolutely discharged but that order should be taken the work should cease and the men continued at his majesty's charge till the hearing should pass And his Majesty determined what was after to be done. Whereupon his Majesty commanded a letter to be written to me to the same effect, charging me upon my allegiance to follow the directions therein contained, which I accordingly very carefully observed. In the meantime, no day almost passed wherein Mister Baker, Bright, Stevens, Clay, Graves, Captain Weymouth, and their malicious associates did not meet at Woolwich to take all the dimensions of the ship to deface the work by striking aside the shores and condemning the materials aggravating continual disgraces upon me and railing despitefully to my face which i was forced to endure with patience and put up with silence flying to god on whose mercy i wholly depended in these extremities the good lord admiral was not idle in this interim to provide for to give his majesty full satisfaction in all things that could be objected by the informers and to that purpose carefully advising with sir robert mansell and sir john trevor principal officers of his majesty's navy together with myself whom it did most concern what course was to be held to meet all objections could be any ways produced against me and for that the adverse part had made choice of a certain number of masters and builders in the river of thames to strengthen their proceedings if was held fit and resolved the like course should be taken by us for our better defence whereupon sundry experienced men known to be honest and impartial of both kinds were nominated and appointed by warrant from the lord admiral to attend this service some inhabiting about the river of thames and others of remote places with whom divers consultations were held as well to inform them of the truth of every particular as also to satisfy their doubts in anything wherein it was fit they should be thoroughly resolved i for my own part confident of mine own integrity commending my cause to god provided myself to be able to answer all objections whatsoever could be alleged against me either in point of art experience or care in this so weighty service of trust and consequence i must not here forget the princely favour of my royal then master prince henry of ever-famous memory who in his noble care of me in the interim of the time appointed by his majesty for my hearing did almost every day send me a comfortable encouragement by some one of his principal gentlemen to heart me on and put life into me lest i should any ways be disheartened with the apprehension of the power of my great and potent adversary and when the time grew near for my trial sent me a commandment to wait upon his grace the sunday preceding the day at st james's which i accordingly performed where his highness vouchsafing to lead me in his hand through the park to whitehall in the public view and hearing of many people there attending to see him pass to the king his father did in such loving manner counsel me with such comfortable wise and grave advice touching my carriage and resolution in my trial as was no little testimony of his principal care of me to my great comfort and joy of all those that were both eye and ear-witnesses of it besides casting the worst that might be if i had been overthrown by the censure of his majesty his highness had graciously determined to have received me into a place in his house and resolved To have provided for me whilst I had lived, the time drawing now near, there was sent from London at the appointment of the Lord Admiral hangings to furnish the room where His Majesty was to sit, and the next room to it, where he was to withdraw. The one being the common dining room of the workmen, and the other my own dining room, both which I caused to be hanged and trimmed up with such furniture as was befitting such a presence, with all convenience the place could anyways afford. On Monday morning, being the eighth day of May, the Lord Admiral came betimes to Woolwich, attended by Sir Robert Mansell, Sir John Trevor, and others, where his Lordship was met by all those persons which were formerly warned to be there on our part, and his Lordship took those rooms which were fitted for his Majesty. Presently after came the Lord Northampton, attended with all the spiteful crew of his informers, and he took Hugh Lyddiard's house, being clerk of the check, which was fitted for him, and was there attended with all his rabble. Before His Majesty's coming, Weymouth and his associates pried up and down the yard, belching out nothing but disgraces, despiteful speeches and base opprobrious terms, being so confident of their wished ends as they before had given out that I should be hanged, and the work defaced at the least. Which was likely enough to have proved so, had not God put a hook into their nostrils and by the justice of the king caused themselves to fall into the pit they had digged for another the noble admiral spent the time till his majesty's coming very quietly and privately consulting advisedly with those appointed for the business never so much as taking notice of the base usage of them on their side all things being in a readiness about eight of the clock his majesty came in his caroche attended with Prince Henry and the principal lords of His Majesty's council. The Lord Northampton met him before he came to the ordinary gate of the yard, and used all the means he could to have led His Majesty through Lydiard's garden, by a back way into his house. But His Majesty told His Lordship that the Lord Admiral, whom he espied waiting with his train at the ordinary gate of the yard, would justly take exception at his doing so for that it belonged properly there to his lordship to receive and entertain him so alighting the lord admiral after his duty performed guided his majesty to the rooms provided purposely for the business whom i ushered as belonged to my place after his majesty had a little reposed, he desired the lord admiral to bring him to the site of the work then in hand which accordingly was done directing his majesty to a brow or stage made at the stem of the ship, where he might perfectly take a perfect view of the whole groundwork of the frame, being then about half set up and planked as high as the rung-heads, no foot-wailing as then begun. After his majesty had satisfied himself sufficiently, he returned back to the place again, and there seated himself in the chair under the state, at a little table standing right before him the prince and the lords taking their stands on his majesty's right hand and the lord admiral and all those warned on our part and the lord northampton on the left hand of his majesty with all his crew of informers and others appointed to assist him on his part of sea-masters and shipwrights of the thames these things thus ordered his majesty silence being commanded by his gentlemen ushers his majesty began a very worthy speech first to signify the cause of his coming to that place and how much it imported the royal care of a king to take to his personal examination a business of such consequence as so much concerned the strength and honour of his kingdom and state besides the expense of his treasure next he addressed his speech to the actors on both sides to those that were informers and to those that were defendants the substance of his royal speech tending to a religious exhortation that none of both sides should either accuse for malice or other pretence or excuse for love favour or other particular respects for that his majesty in the seat of justice presenting god's person would not be deluded nor led by any coloured pretenses from understanding the very plain truth of that business which was to be handled and therefore willed such on both sides whose conscience accused them either of malicious proceedings Private ends or partial favour to give over and depart before they took the oath to be administered unto them, threatening severe punishments to those should be found offenders herein, declaring what danger it was to be perjured before the majesty of God and the king. His majesty's speech so effectually delivered to the purpose of the matter in hand, to the admiration of the hearers, commandment was given to call the names of those to be sworn on both sides. On Lord Northampton's side were Sir Henry Middleton, Mr Hugh Merritt, Captain Watts, Captain Norries, Mr Chester, Captain Weymouth, Captain Newport, Seamen Robert Rickman, Thomas Redwood, Captain Gear, Captain Moore, Mr James Woodcock, Mr Matthew Woodcock, Captain Miller. Shipwrights, Mr Matthew Baker, Mr William Bright mr edward stevens captain weymouth mr clay mr graves mr trankmore mr Lydiard, other informers thomas buck clifton a baker sworn on our part mr william jones mr william bygat mr michael Merial, mr john king mr george ireland mr arthur pett mr john woodcott Seamen: mr thomas fuller mr robert wright mr thomas johnson mr john dawes mr nicholas diggins mr jordan mr michael edmonds shipwrights mr william burrell mr nicholas simonson mr thomas jenkins mr thomas cole mr thomas prime carpenters of his majesty's navy lawrence andrews david duck Robert Bromwich, Thomas Catterall, John Ely, Thomas Hampton, Nicholas Curtis, Robert Sharp. These several persons being called and appearing, the form of the oath was read unto them by the Right Honourable Sir Robert Cecil, Earl of Salisbury and then Lord Treasurer, who personated the clerk of the session, and the book was presented to them by the Right Honourable Charles Howard, Earl of Nottingham, lord high admiral of england these ceremonies performed his majesty willed the lord northampton to begin his accusation and then i was called personally to answer and kneeled right before his majesty near the side of the table the lord high admiral standing at my left hand sir robert mansell and sir john trevor standing both right behind me the accusation against me was exhibited by the lord northampton in writing containing sundry articles in point of my sufficiency art and experience and in point of my care and honesty in discharge of my duty in putting in unserviceable materials to the great detriment of his majesty's service his majesty perceiving the articles to be many and very intricate to answer each particular very judiciously contracted all the business to three principal heads the point of art the point of sufficiency of materials and the point of charge and to these heads i was commanded to frame my answers and they their accusations i must confess that at the first i was so daunted with the majesty of the king the power of my adversary and the confused urging of the objections that i was confounded in myself till it pleased god by the help of the lord treasurer and his discreet directions i was recollected and recovered my spirits and so orderly answered to each objection his majesty still holding us on both sides to the proposition much time was spent in dispute of proportions comparing my present frame with former precedents and dimensions of the best ships for length breadth depth floor and circumstances in all which they could not fasten anything upon me but reflected to their disgrace and apparent breach of oath and plain demonstration and expression of combined practice one point of proportion was mainly insisted upon, and with much violence and eagerness urged on both sides, which was the square of the ship's flat in the midships, they affirming constantly upon their oath it was full thirteen foot, we as constantly insisting that it was but eleven foot and eight inches, but because this difference was long and could not be tried upon small plates, his majesty referred the trial to be made upon the great platform, which was purposely framed of planks, to the full scale of the ship, where all the lines of the midship bend were drawn, and the square of the flat truly described, with their centres perpendiculars and sweeps, which trial, because it much concerned the truth or falsity of all the rest, his majesty would not give trust to any of those that were by oath interested in the same, but made choice of the noble and worthy knight, Sir Thomas Chaloner, then governor of the Prince's Highnesses, household and of the learned reverend gentleman mr briggs reader of geometry lecture in gresham college in london and master of art and student in st john's in cambridge who were to decide this controversy this thus concluded we came to the point of charge to which was answered that the charge of the building of this ship should not exceed other ships that had been built in her majesty's times i mean queen elizabeth of famous and happy memory allowing proportion for proportion the garnishing not exceeding theirs. This gave full satisfaction to the point of charge, being the second head propounded. It then being almost one of the clock, his majesty called for his dinner, referring the other points to be handled in the ship after dinner. All this time I sat upon my knees, baited by the great lord and his band-dogs, sometimes by Baker, sometimes by Bright, Stevens, Clay, Gaping Weymouth, and sometimes confusedly by all and which was worse his majesty's angry countenance still bent upon me so that i was almost disheartened and out of breath albeit the prince's highness standing near me from time to time encouraged me as far as he might without offence to his father labouring to have me eased by standing up but his majesty would not permit it so soon as his majesty and the lords had dined the king rose and went into the body of the frame of the ship to make trial of the goodness of the materials all the lower futtocks were placed and many upper futtocks also the adverse part had chalked with a mark almost half the lower futtocks for red wood cross-grained and merely unserviceable all which timbers his majesty caused to be dubbed by the workmen ready with their tools for that purpose and being tried they were all approved very sound and serviceable and touching the cross-grained timber his majesty protested very earnestly the cross-grain was in the men and not in the timber his majesty spent much time in the survey of these things still giving way to what objections the adverse part could allege and what answer i could make in my defence this business performed within board and his majesty well satisfied in every particular he openly delivered that the ship would be too strong if one-third of the timber were left out, and then began to give me a princely countenance and encouragement, protesting oftentimes that all this grievous accusation proceeded of nothing but malice. Then his majesty came without board, and curiously surveyed the planks, and tree-nails, and workmanship, all which gave him such good satisfaction as still confirmed his opinion of their malicious proceedings all the while his majesty was intentive upon this search the gentlemen forenamed that were appointed for the trial of the point of the true flat of the floor they were busied in taking off the measures from the ship and bringing them to the platform and when they found by due trial all the lines to be truly set off they acquainted his majesty that all things was in readiness his majesty then having received satisfaction of all things about the frame repaired to the platform attended with the prince the lords and many thousand spectators besides his majesty then caused those gentlemen to measure each dimension of breadth and depth for his own satisfaction and then coming to the point of the square of the floor whether it were answering their assertion of thirteen foot or agreeable to ours of eleven foot eight inches the square of thirteen foot was tried from the true centre and perpendicular which being applied to the sweeps of the mould did differ above sixteen inches at the rung head the like trial being made by our true centre and perpendicular fell as just in our lines as could be possibly which done his majesty with a loud voice commanded the measurers to declare publicly the very truth which when they had delivered clearly on our sides all the whole multitude heaved up their hats and gave a great and a loud shout and acclamation. And then the Prince's Highness called with a high voice in these words, "'Where be now these perjured fellows that dare thus abuse his Majesty with these false informations? Do they not worthily deserve hanging?' By that time all these things were thus performed, and his Majesty wonderfully satisfied, and, it growing somewhat late, his majesty returned again into the hall where he formerly sat and being placed and the room filled as full as it could be packed his majesty began a most worthy and learned speech for conclusion of the business the scope of his words tending first to a full declaration of the satisfaction he had received touching this great business wherein he expressed with many effectual speeches what content he received in bestowing his pains that day to so good a purpose next his majesty addressed himself to give thanks to the lord northampton for his great care and diligence to search out such errors in the office of the admiralty wherein his majesty and the state were abused with encouragement for him to go forward with prosecuting his commission notwithstanding his lordship had been misinformed by being drawn to question the present business next his majesty directed his speech to mr baker bright stevens and the rest of the informers very bitterly reprehending their malicious practices more to bring to effect their own private ends than out of any conscionable care of the good of his majesty's service or benefit of the state repining at the preferment i had and the countenance of the prince his son and therefore combining together to disgrace and ruin me though otherwise they envied one another and were at controversy who should be preferred to my business with many good exhortations to will them to beware how they did abuse the majesty of god and himself his substitute with malicious informations in which he could do no less than think them perjured as in the prosecuting of this whole business was too apparent to himself and all the world whereby they deserved to be severely punished if he should censure them as they worthily merited. His Majesty then began to show me a very pleasing countenance, and turned his speech to me, willing me not to be discountenanced with these proceedings against me, since he was now sufficiently persuaded of my honesty, integrity, and abilities to perform what I had undertaken, advising me not to refuse counsel of my fellow-servants, since it was his service, wherein we ought to join together for his good and the honour of the state with many other princely expressions of his good opinion of me and readiness not only to give me countenance but assurance of future favour towards me and lastly he cleared all imputations and aspersions unjustly cast upon the lord high admiral with recital of all his honourable services performed to the honour of the state and his perpetual fame commending his great wisdom and impartial carriage of himself in this day's trial wherein he was never observed to give any impediment to his majesty's judicial proceedings but all furtherance possible as was both evidently manifest to his majesty by the great pains he had endured that day and the noble patience he had given public testimony of to all present which were eye-witnesses of it with many other gracious speeches to put new life and power into him to go on as he had begun to the perpetual eternizing his name and honour then giving general thanks to those that had taken pains in that day's business with protestation of his princely care in all matters of such consequence for the safety and honour of the state and kingdom he concluded his speech then the noble admiral as his majesty was rising humbly besought his majesty to license him to speak a few words as well to declare his own innocency concerning these unjust accusations as to clear me in the point both of my sufficiency and my care and honesty to perform the service entrusted to me to which his honorable request though it grew now to be late his majesty most willingly condescended the sum of his lordship's speech tended to admire and extol his majesty's justice great wisdom and princely care of the good of the commonwealth in which he had refused no pains as this day's work and honourable assembly could justly witness to provide to rectify and set straight to the wonder and admiration of them all a work of so great a consequence and of such a kind of intricacy as his majesty had never been accustomed to before and yet so clearly to examine and try in so short a space as if he had only been bred and accustomed to such elements with many other honourable speeches tending to that purpose his lordship then laying his hand upon my head standing next unto him upon his right hand did there freely offer to pawn all his lands his honour and his life in my behalf for the performance and finishing of this royal work which being once perfected if his majesty by the advice of the best experienced artist and seaman of the kingdom should dislike he would willingly with help of his take off from his majesty's hands at his and their proper charge without any damage or loss to his majesty and this did his lordship deliver with such bold assured confident earnestness as gave much content to his majesty and satisfaction to the prince the lords and most part of the rest of the standers by to this speech his majesty replied briefly with gracious acknowledgments of his princely acceptance of his lordship's true faithful service and zeal expressed in that his worthy speech of which he had so great assurance as he confidently protested never king could be more happy than himself in the service of such an honourable subject and therefore there was no need why he should any ways engage neither himself nor his honour in that which his majesty had by the course of upright justice before the face of god and the world so apparently cleared this said his majesty rose in passing through the hall the lord admiral going before and leading me in his hand the lord thomas howard then lord chamberlain of the household made a motion to his majesty to lay a charge upon me that I should not make any quarrel against any person or persons that had that day given information against me, alleging he knew my stomach to be such as, if I were not contained by his majesty's commandment, I would call them to account for their doings, whereupon blood might ensue. His majesty, giving ear to what his lordship advised, gave him thanks for his worthy counsel, and calling me unto him, before the whole company i sitting upon my knees he gave me an especial charge upon my allegiance and life that i should not quarrel or challenge any person or persons whatsoever that had that day given information against me alleging i had honour sufficient to have been cleared of all questions and objections unjustly laid to my charge by the equity of my cause and his justice this speech concluded his majesty hastened to take his carush, which attended at the gate the noble lord admiral brought me in his hand to his majesty to kiss his royal hand and take my leave his majesty gave me his hand to kiss with such an expression of his princely favour and encouragements to proceed cheerfully in my business as did not only infuse new life into me but also gave great comfort and content to all the standers by Then I presented myself upon my knee to the most noble prince, my then master, who, taking me from the ground, did so affectionately express his joy for my clearing and the satisfaction his father had received that day, that he protested he would not only countenance and comfort me hereafter, but care to provide for me and my posterity while he lived. I received the like noble courtesy from all the lords who declared their joy for the happy success God gave me in this great deliverance the great lord of northampton seeing the event of this business and that all things sorted out clean contrary to his expectation railing bitterly against his informing instruments took the back way to his coach and would not so much as take any leave of his majesty but posted away with no little expression of great discontentment as did also the rest of his partakers the lord admiral attended his majesty being never better contented in all his life, and returned to Whitehall with the company, it being almost eight of the clock before they went from Woolwich. Sir Robert Mansell, Sir John Trevor, Captain Button, and the rest of my good friends followed, amongst whom was the good old Lady Mansell and Mrs. Button, who had taken the pains to attend the hearing in an inner room all that day this day as it was a very tedious day unto me by reason i was to answer all objections and kneel so long together so was it a day of jubilee to me a day never to be forgotten of me nor mine wherein my good god showed me wonderful favour and mercy to enable me to endure the frowns of the king and to strengthen my weak abilities to withstand the malice of such and so many powerful adversaries by the space of one whole long summer's day his majesty, albeit he was sufficiently persuaded of their malice and my integrity, yet till he had cleared all doubts by the course of strict examination, and found me in his justice guiltless, he would show me no countenance at all, but after their malice was discovered, and all those heads and points fully answered and clearly resolved, his majesty then both in countenance, words, and all other princely expressions, declared his royal disposition towards me. End of section six.